What up, world? Welcome and all to another episode of the Ocho, presented to you in partnership, as always, with SB Nation's bloggingtheboys.com. My name is RJ Ochoa. You know me, of course, from BTB and from right here as your humble host on the Ocho. It is Thursday, the third day, October 28th, 2021. We hope all is well wherever you are. We hope you're happy, safe, healthy, and I hope, because I'm recording this before game two, that the World Series is tied at 1-1. Houston Astros, get it done. I know I've heard your jokes, blah, blah, you're not an Astros fan, et cetera, whatever. They don't hurt me, and they can't really hurt me because the Dallas Cowboys, my primary team, are dominating, and I'm so pumped, just like you are, to have the Dallas Cowboys back in action, back from the bye. Huge game this week on Sunday Night Football against the Minnesota Vikings. going to be a ton of fun. Something that was a ton of fun as it relates to this game, just so you know, every week on the Blog on the Boys YouTube channel, we drop a preview show. We have a film room component that Matt Minnick helps us through. Uh, we obviously touch on keys to the game, keys to victory, whatever you want to call them. But we do also have a discussion with somebody from the other team. This week we had on Paul Allen, who was the voice of the Minnesota Vikings. It was a wonderful chat. Wonderful. It's not out if you're listening to this on Thursday, kind of before lunchtime. Um, should be out either late Thursday, early Friday. But seriously encourage everybody to go check it out. Wonderful conversation with Paul Allen, again, from the Minnesota Vikings. You need to hear it. You need to check it out. Go check it out. But if you're checking out that conversation on the Blog on the Boys YouTube channel, make sure you subscribe there. And make sure you also subscribe right here to the Blog on the Boys podcast network. Your subscriptions, your ratings, your reviews, they mean so much to us. They help us out so much. If you haven't subscribed, please do. If you haven't left a rating, please do. If you haven't written a review, please do. And if you leave a review, I promise you, we will read it. We are legally, not literally, but you know, legally obligated to read every single review that is on the Blog and the Boys podcast network. And we have two new reviews to get to today. First one, five-star rating from GOB Frog says, RJ Ochoa is excellent. I didn't pay GOB Frog, just you know, saying what they wrote. Today's interview with Bob Sturm was one of the best football discussions I have heard, and I go back to hearing the Hitskies and Galloway radio shows back in the day. Keep it up, RJ and Co. Uh, last week's interview with Bob Sturm was delightful. I really enjoyed it. We have an interview coming up today. We'll get to that in just a moment, but if you haven't heard it yet, make sure you go check it out on you know in your feed anyway uh second review comes to us from eddie pzee that's p-z-e-e five star rating says best coverage of everything cowboys again i'm not paying anybody to write these people rj's voice is the equivalent of a warm hug followed by being wrapped in a weighted blanket then served a hot bowl of chicken soup by your grandma on a cold winter night in the middle of december the cowboys takes are also very good a must follow for sure thank you eddie really appreciate it i tried a weighted blanket out once and it was not for me didn't really like it but i'm happy to hear that i have that sort of effect if you like a weighted blanket um i mentioned that we have an interview to get to today aiden davis is one of our new writers this season at blogontheboys.com very talented very bright very smart very charismatic aiden and i do a lot of projects together every single week in terms of things that we put on site at blogontheboys.com articles where we take a look at certain things aiden does a great job compiling different graphs different data sheets putting together data actually for us to you know draw some conclusions figure some things out as they pertain to the Dallas Cowboys and so wanted to kind of flesh some of these things out something that Aiden and I partner on every single week 
is looking at the Cowboys' remaining schedule through a particular lens. You know, a lot of people look at the remaining schedule and say, well, they're, they're only going to lose one more game. They're only going to lose two more games. I don't think they're going to lose any more games. Why? Like, what what is, like, your gut? Is that, you know, I'm not trying to doubt your gut, but what is it that is propelling you to say or to think this? And so something that Aiden and I do every single week, you can read these at blogontheboys.com, is we look at the Cowboys' remaining schedule through the lens of EPA, expected points added. Now, this is a metric, a little bit newer school, that not everybody gets. And so I wanted to really explain this and dive into it and understand why we we believe the Cowboys to be one of the best teams in the NFL. In fact, why we believe the Cowboys to be one of the best Dallas Cowboys teams this century. Aiden is on Twitter at Aiden1214. That's A-I-D-A-N-1214. I seriously encourage you to go follow him. So without further ado, let's hear from him. Here is Aiden Davis from bloggingtheboys.com right now on The Ocho. Pleased to be joined by the one, the only, the legendary, internationally famous, uh, chose one of the institutions of lower learning in the state of Texas, but we'll look past that. You know him from the pages at bloggingtheboys.com. He is rising in terms of prominence and prestige. Uh, he is seeking a higher education, which I'm really confused why he would go to Austin for that. It is Aiden Davis. Aiden, thank you so much for uh, joining the Ocho this week. Hi, RJ. Thank you for having me. And I can't say much about Texas this year. You definitely have me beat in terms of the college. So I'm not going to say anything about that. Yeah. You know, look, everyone, you know, you got to go to college, pick a school you like. That's fine. You picked one of the worst ones that a person can pick. It is what it is. I mean, but, um, you know, you're, you're making something of yourself, you know, at the very least, like I, I'll be a big pat on the back for that, you know, going to college, big, big time props for that. But, you know, if, if, if you don't want to, you know, contribute or, you know, donate to the university when you're done with there, I wouldn't lose any sleep about it. We all have our opinions. You're entitled to yours about A&M. Hey, um, I went to A&M during the Big 12 days, so um, so I have a right to be bitter. Like, nowadays, these, these people, like, I don't know what you're doing. Like, there's no reason for this, but it is what it is. Um, Aiden, you have, I've talked about it on our shows before. We've talked about it on our YouTube shows. You have uh, become our resident genius at Blog on the Boys. Um, you know, I'm not the most analytically minded person. And uh, for anyone who's unaware, Aiden has literally uh, put training wheels on me and held my hand and walked me through things in our offline discussions. We've done a lot of interesting uh, studies so far this season, things we've been tracking. And there's something that we did that I wrote about. It's on site for anyone who wants to see it at blogontheboys.com about how the Cowboys fare relative to past Cowboys teams this century at the buy. Uh, can you kind of lay this out, lay the premise for the origin of the idea and, and whatnot before we kind of walk ourselves through it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll start off by saying genius is a little bit of a stretch. I'm just putting numbers on paper. Oh, especially so. for a Longhorn, but you're, you're right. In that <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's fair. So what, we, what we've looked at in the past, what we looked at again this week is we wanted to know going into a specific week. So I think we looked at it in week three. Going into right. week three, how were the Cowboys in terms of their EPA ranking for defense and offense? How have they stacked up to previous Cowboys teams? So the 2014 that team that we remember, the 2016 team, 2007, all those teams that succeeded in the regular season, how does this 2021 Cowboys team stack up in terms of their ranking, um, both offense and defensively? And what we saw in this most recent one, and we looked at it again going into the bye week, what we found is that in terms of ranking alone, this is arguably the best Cowboys team we've seen over the last 21 years. Now, granted, there's 
a couple asterisks that you could put in there, but just in terms of offense and defensive EPA ranking going into the bye week, this is the best team we've seen over the last 21 years. So before we go further, because I have a lot of things I want to bring up, just for the, the person who doesn't, I think EPA is becoming more and more mainstream, more and more common. It is being discussed on your kind of more national NFL, you know, whether it's television shows, radio shows, whatever. Uh, but but a general kind of one on one on what EPA is like what you know, you you had to really you know break this down for me. But for, for the smarter person than I, um, what is EPA? So EPA, it's best explained by an example. Say a team is at the 20 yard line. So 80 yards to the end zone, a team in that scenario is probably going to score around half a point on average. So they're expected to score about half a point since they stopped to drive 80 yards the length of the field. Now, if that team then rips off a 50 yard run and sets themselves at the opposite 20 yard line, well, then you're talking about an expected points in that scenario of at least probably three, probably more than that. So the team off that singular play just went from expecting to score half a point to now expecting to score three plus points. And that's essentially what EPA is on a per play level. You're looking at on an individual play basis, how did, how much did that team contribute to the amount of points they're expected to score? And so if you take that total across an entire game, divided by the amount of plays they ran, you then have EPA per play. And that's essentially EPA in a nutshell. It's just supposed to measure how successful the team is doing in terms of adding points or on the defensive point or on the defensive side, subtracting points from the opponent. Right. And I think, you know, I was, I was talking to my dad about this and, and trying to break it down for him. Um, when you, when you say things like, Oh, well, their, their offensive EPA per play is 0. 0.130. I think people hear that. And they say, that's it. Like, it's like, but that's per play, you know, like that's, that's literally per play across an entire game. Um, and that's, that's really impressive. And so what would, what would you say before we kind of dive in here is really good. Give me a random, really good offensive EPA per play and a random, really good, you know, defensive EPA per play, kind of your top 10 teams relative, you know, to the year in an NFL season. If you're talking about top 10, I'd say an offensive EPA of around 0.75 is good. That will land you most of the time inside the top 10. I feel comfortable at 0.75. If the the Cowboys are currently twice that, right? Or beyond twice exactly. that, actually. Exactly. They're at 0.15, and this team is good. This offense <laughs> is – there's no other way to say it. They're right. – Top, they're ranked fourth in the NFL. I mean, you're talking about the offenses in front of them are the likes of the Cardinals, the Rams. Just when you think of explosive offenses, that's the offenses that are landing ahead of the Cowboys. So 0.75 is generally a good cutoff. Cowboys have doubled that so far this year. In terms of the defensive side, it gets a little bit more weird because you're trying to prevent the team from scoring. And generally in the era that we're in, teams are going to be successful on mm -hmm. offense. So if you're in the negative for defensive EPA, that's generally above average. I'd say if you're at negative 0.1 or negative 0.01, that's, that's a good offensive EPA per play or defensive yeah. EPA per play. 
if you're jump roping around flat point zero, you're generally pretty good. Um, and you, you and I discussed this after the Patriots win. Um, EPA is not, nothing is, is infallible. Nothing is flawless. Uh, the Dak Prescott touchdown that should have happened at the goal line, not scoring in that situation negatively impacts the Cowboys offensive EPA per play because they're expected to score from the one yard line. And if they don't, then you opt that inflates your average in a negative sense. And inversely, Bill Belichick punting on fourth and three in overtime or draining the clock at the end of the first half kind of, I don't want to say muddies the sample, but does impact the way the Cowboys defense or offensive view. It's, it's, it doesn't weed out human error, human decision, so to speak, I guess is the best way to put it. That's a really good way to put it, especially I'd say turnovers are a huge asterisk on EPA. Now turnovers are a massive swing when it comes to EPA. So at the one yard, when the Cowboys had the ball against the Patriots at the one yard line, they're probably expected to score around five to six points from that. And then you turn the ball over. Now you're expected to score zero. That's a massive swing to EPA. And so turnovers are the one thing that really can influence EPA. And that's where we can start having the discussion around our defense are the numbers inflated. Right. No, yeah. I think that, that that's played itself out in on both sides. I think of the DeMonte Kazee interception against Justin Herbert happened in the end zone. The fumble he caused the week before against the Patriots, excuse me, the Buncaneers uh, that happened against Chris Godwin at the, the one yard line that Jordan Lewis recovered. You know, the opposing offenses at that point expected to score five, six points, whatever, same kind of thing. Um, so getting back to the subject at hand, um, you looked at where the Cowboys offense and defenses rank in terms of EPA per play relative or rather entering the buy. And, and you looked at every Cowboys team at the point that they entered the buy and where they ranked offensively and defensively. And this is arguably the most well-rounded team that the Cowboys have had in that sense. Now they've had different buys at different points in the seasons. And so that's, you know, something that you have to kind of add, but so you, you can't like, un, you know, indisputably say this is the best Cowboys team since, you know, 2000, since 1999, whatever, since I don't, I don't even think you were born in 1999. I don't want to think about that. Uh, but um, that's a huge thing. And, and, you know, and this is something you and I talked about, we we're going to look at in the off season, kind of um, the gaps between past offenses and the defenses that weighed them down. Teams like 2000, even 2017 was a really, you know, interesting offense, but really poor defense and things like that. But this, this Cowboys team has it all right now. And that's a really exciting thing to consider coming out of the buy now. Absolutely. And like I said, at the top of this, what we what we're seeing in terms of EPA going into the buy is very encouraging. Now I'll give one point of encouragement and then I'll give a counterpoint. The point of encouragement, as I said, the Cowboys, specifically in 2014 and 2016, they were blessed with very good offenses. However, the defenses weren't there. They were around middle of the pack to bottom of the league, to bottom 16 in the league, and that held the team back. The combination of a good offense in terms of EPA as well as a good defensive EPA ranking, the likes of this we haven't seen before. Currently, and if you're strictly looking at EPA, this is the best Cowboys team entering the bye that we've seen over the last 21 years. The one caveat to this I'd give, and I mentioned that, is we have been forcing a lot of turnovers. Right. And like I said, turnovers do really influence defensive EPA per play allowed. And so the one caveat I'd give is 
when you face offenses like the Cardinals, the Packers, even the Vikings and the Raiders, offenses that don't really turn the ball over and those turnovers don't come, well, what happens to your defensive EPA then? Because right now the Cowboys are currently benefiting the second most in terms of their EPA from turnovers just right behind the Buffalo Bills. And so that's one thing that we should look out for over the second half of the season is in the games where these turnovers don't come, what does our defensive EPA look like? Not that it will be bad and not that there's any reason to panic just yet. I'm just interested to see when the turnovers don't come, what happens to our defensive EPA. I think that's really well said. And I think that that goes, I know the Cowboys lost to the Buccaneers, but the, you know, the only reason they were in that game at the very end was the Chris Godwin fumble at the goal line. If, if that's a touchdown that, you know, we're not looking at that game in the same um, bit of retrospect as we have over the last almost two months. Now the chargers game, the Cowboys won that game by three points. And even then it was a last second field goal. If that's a touchdown, you know, that was a really uncharacteristic throw by Justin Herbert, that Demonte because he picked off again, you're talking about a very different game. Um, and, and even the Patriots win, you know, I, I, I tweeted this at the time and I think the context was lost on people after the, so Trayvon Diggs gets a pick six right after the Greg Zerline missed field goal. But I felt so much better after the pick six and the Kendrick Bourne touchdown with the Cowboys having to drive the length of the field than I did even right before the Trayvon Diggs pick six. I don't know if that makes sense. After the Zerline missed field goal, it felt like this was really going to slip away. And then this crazy sequence of events unfolds. And granted, the Cowboys still had to drive, you know, a longer stretch of the field. But I, I don't know that there's any data to support that. But my point is turnovers are, are giving, even in that instance, despite the fact that it was a pick six, they're, they're giving them new life. They're giving their, their incredible offense new life, which is, is what drives their success overall. Yeah, and... I completely agree with you in the Patriots game. I mean, all the credit to Dan Quinn. He's done seemingly miracles with this defense and his impact not, cannot be overstated. But I still don't think we would feel super comfortable with the defense putting up a guaranteed stop in that instance. For right. In the Patriots game, when Mac Jones had the ball, it was, I think, two and a half minutes left. I didn't have the utmost confidence in the world that we were going to get the ball back. But when you're then talking about the ball in Dak Prescott's hands, driving the length of the field that I'm much more comfortable in. And so that I completely agree with you. And in terms of the turnovers, giving this team new life, that's a completely accurate statement. I mean, even if you think about some of the more, you can put this in parentheses, meaningless turnovers like the Anthony Brown interception against the Eagles when the game was essentially won. That's a play that really is influencing our EPA. Mm -hmm. And then, but when you look at the uh, impact on the game itself, it didn't have a huge impact. So it's just, it's plays like those where yes, these turnovers are giving the team life. We've looked at it. Turnovers aren't sticky but our turnovers are sticky. We, we should expect these turnovers to continue since this team does produce turnovers, it seems. But I'd be hesitant in that if the turnovers don't come, what do we see? Yeah, I mean, and it feels weird. It feels like you and I just got really negative. Like, I, I don't know if <laughs> like I felt like the energy <laughs> kind of turned. Um, but but yeah, like quickly on deck I, I there's no like i have no data or anything to support this this is just a feel which is kind of the the you know contradiction to the the nucleus of our discussions that we've had this year i would 
trust. I, I, if you told me, RJ, you can have, you can either put your chances in Dak Prescott having to go 99 yards or the Cowboys defense stopping an opposing offense from needing a field goal from their one yard line. I would take Dak a thousand times out of a thousand. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you agree though. I, yeah, I'm with you. I don't have any data. I haven't looked into it, but yeah. I would completely agree with you there. I mean, especially this season, Dak is playing on an entirely different level. And when's the last time we've had that this much faith in a Dallas quarterback? I mean, I love Tony Romo and I still think he's one of the greatest Cowboys quarterbacks of all time, but there were instances where I was hesitant. I'd be hesitant to trust him driving 99 yards. And so having that much faith in a Dallas quarterback, it's fun again. It really is. Um, maybe that's another off season subject. Like when we want to piss off a lot of people is like, and we want to divide <laughs> them. Um, and, and I think people, to your point, people would point out the 2014 season. That was kind of Romo at the peak of his powers. And, and I think oh, certainly, you, you could say that, but even you know, people really trusted him in 2015. Um, and I don't want to like branch off on this tangent, but like even the week one win, you know, that final drive against the Giants that everybody remembers, that's just that's all Lance Dunbar. Like, I'd be fascinated to look at like what Lance Dunbar's EPA per play was on that drive, just because I mean, it was just, you know, check down after check down. But um, you mentioned that turnovers were sticky and I have shouted you out several times because this is amazing. Uh, after the second week of the season, the Cowboys had six turnovers defensively and you looked at every single team since the merger in 1970 that had generated six six turnovers at least through the first two games of a season and data history showed and you undeniably proved that the Cowboys defense, if history was any indicator, would average two takeaways per game from that point on. And we are now at week eight, granted the Cowboys were on by last week. They have averaged and literally had two takeaways per game. Take your victory lap. You called this like you're a prophet. You literally <laughs> called this. this. It's amazing. And you mentioned it like, it's, it's an impossible thing to predict, especially the Trayvon Diggs factor of it all. But it's it. There's there's data to support the like call it flukiness of generating turnovers. Yeah, I would love to take a victory lap on this. <laughs> I think it is a little bit more due to randomness than it is like that was just looking at historical data. And trying 50 to years of data <laughs> like it's not it's not a small sample size. Yeah. And. I think there is merit to we will probably over this remaining 11 games. I think there's reason to believe we could average two turnovers a game. Now, exactly two every game. I would put the house that it's not going to happen. That's the house that's not going to happen. But this is uh, you said we were getting a little bit more pessimistic when we were talking about turnovers. This is reason to be optimistic where this defense knows how to force turnovers and RJ, we also looked at this. I think a large part of it is McCarthy. He coaches a team to force turnovers, and they've been doing this since the back half of last season. I just I don't see a world where the turnovers magically dry up and we're just not able to produce anymore, and Trayvon Diggs completely stopped getting interceptions. Anthony Brown stops getting interceptions. I mean, with the Marcus Lawrence coming back, you can assume mm -hmm. that a couple fumbles are coming with him. And so I think there's reason to believe that we could average around two turnovers per game for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think the average is there because you're right. Like, you know, this is partly aided by the Anthony Brown interception, you know, that was kind of, again, I don't call it fluky or whatever, but I mean, that that doesn't impact the game as we've discussed. Um, I, I do think... 
that when you when you look at the totality of it all, it is amazing. And I think the formula for the Cowboys not getting turnovers lends to the offense's success. And I think we kind of saw that against New England. Now, the New England game had an enormous amount of penalties and weird things that generally don't happen on a weekly basis to any team in the NFL, let alone the Cowboys. I think we can we could sit here all day. We could argue about this penalty, that penalty and how unfair or unsounded it was. Um, and so that's not going to happen on a game by game basis. But the formula to mitigate the Cowboys defense taking the ball away would be to play this incredibly conservative way that the Patriots did and and the Cowboys you know did get their two turnovers but that that would theoretically lend to the offense having more opportunities for success whether it be shorter fields whether it be more opportunities because of an, the opposing offense being conservative and having to punt etc and the Cowboys would have been able to have piled those points up if not for those weird fluky you know penalties or whatever you want to call it so I mean and plus that that you know coaching game plan was devised by the greatest coach in the history of the NFL and so I don't know that anybody else the remainder of the way is capable of not only devising that game plan and having the the patience or the discipline to stick to that game plan, but then having the weird slew of penalties that kind of create the perfect storm for that game plan to work against the cap. I have no evidence or data to support this claim, but I'm curious if you agree. I've looked into this a lot because what's really interesting is after around week four, you can look into the numbers and our rushing defense isn't, Superb. Now, granted, it was it's exponentially better than yeah. low bar to clear. Season. Yes, yeah, very low bar to clear. But they it's it's not significantly improved. Not as much as one would be led to believe because teams aren't really running on us because We've the game aver- conditions are, aren't lending to that. Right. Exactly, and so it's hard to play a conservative style of ball with this team because all it takes is the opponent punting once. Dak Prescott driving the length of the field, putting up a touchdown, suddenly you're behind seven points. Can you really then afford to keep establishing the run, slowly mm-hmm. grinding out an 80-yard drive? I think I think the reason teams aren't running on us is because our offense doesn't let them. When we're putting up points at the rate we're putting up, it's hard to play catch-up when you're playing that conservative style of offense. And so maybe like Bill Bell, it's, it worked to an extent for Bill Belichick, but towards the end of the game, Max Jones had to put the ball in the air. And so that's when, that's when we won the game. Yeah. Right. No. And I think that I, I, I wonder, and I, you know, I know you don't have any data prepared on this, but I wonder if that's a mistake that McCarthy has made before um, in terms of, um, you know, having having that elite quarterback who has been who has kept him in those positions that has allowed his offense to kind of be that way. But he's he's almost gotten in these like shot for shot games when he when he hasn't had to. Maybe that served to his detriment that that other teams, you know, haven't necessarily known how to play him. And, and he's he's kind of just, you know, the, it's amazing that people like, you know, consider this demerits for him. But we're talking about a head coach who has lost multiple NFC championship games, you know, multiple divisional games. I mean, his his resume is littered with plenty of playoff appearances. But I think that that could he's 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 walked into and ran into that perfect storm several times because of the greatness of that offense, if that makes sense. Yeah. And. I, has, I, <laughs> it's, it's OK, like, no, just, no, no one's yeah, no yeah. one's going to hold your feet to the fire here. <laughs> I'm just wondering how much of this is Kellen Moore's game plan and how much of it is McCarthy. Like, obviously, we've gone 
back and forth with this a lot. How much of it is the assistant or how much of this is the coordinators? How much of this is McCarthy? Based off the history of McCarthy, it seems like he really likes to rely on his offense to just put up points and he'll win in a shootout behind that faith, his faith in the quarterback. Mm-hmm. But he never really had a great defense in Green Bay from what I can remember. Obviously, the Super Bowl season, that defense was solid enough to keep them in games and then he could rely on that defense more. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see over the second half of the year. Do we just result to the what the Kansas City Chiefs are doing now, which is just we'll win on the quarterback. We don't really need to play defense, even though it's not working for the Chiefs this year. But we'll see. It is interesting. Um, and I think I don't want to take away from McCarthy's Super Bowl run, but thinking more about that season, and I've done that certainly over the, the bye week, in the wild card round, they played a Philadelphia Eagles team that played well over expectation. That that, that was the Michael Vick year in 2010, where he just really showed up great for the Eagles. Uh, they beat the Atlanta Falcons in the divisional round, which was a great Falcons team. And then they beat the Chicago Bears in the NFC Championship. Like if, if you if you just had to pick a team, at, you know, to, to play in the title game, I feel like a lot of teams would pick the Chicago Bears and a Chicago Bears team that, that Jay Cutler wasn't even there for the entire game. He was injured in that title game and it was Caleb Haney um, who played a majority of that game for the Bears. And so I, I'm not at all saying it was a Mickey Mouse title or anything for Mike McCarthy in 2010, but that that's part of the game. Right? Like that's that's those are part of the breaks. I mean, that's that's impossible to predict or quantify or measure, but it is still part of it. Um, you measured Mike McCarthy's aggressiveness and that this was something that we tweeted out. Um, a, a week or so ago that, that got some attention and particularly poked the attention of the McCarthy haters because they're a sector of Cowboys fans, Aiden, as you know, uh, whose favorite football team is five and one, yet they hate the head coach uh, for whatever no. reason. <laughs> and so um, I, I think what works against McCarthy here, I've said this several times and I'm curious if you agree. He, he came in with a lot of bravado and I think he underestimated how how the Cowboys are talked about. I mean, I, I know people say he coached for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, it's different. I mean, Randall Cobb very famously said after his first game as a Cowboy that it was it was equivalent to playoff coverage uh, as a Packer. And so the stakes are a little bit different. The, the spotlight's a little bit different. I think McCarthy came in. He touted himself as this analytics guru. And that is a word, as, as you know, in your line of work and line of study, that People have the, their own perceptions of and, and they they hear analytics and they think you're supposed to be this genius. You're supposed to be this like Tony Stark, you know, level mind or whatever. Um, and so in touting himself that way with the bravado that he did in combination with the unfortunate series of events that happened last year and the Cowboys playing so poorly, I think everybody thinks he's this fraud or this, you know, absent minded person. But he he does generally abide by the laws of analytics as far as what they dictate he should do as the head coach of a football team. Does he not? Absolutely. Well, I'll say the say we looked at his fourth down, the, the coach's decision to go for it on fourth down. And so we're kind of looking at one aspect of the coaching tree, sure. but I, in terms of just fourth down, McCarthy is, among the league leaders over the last two years in terms of when you make the correct decision. Now, correct decision doesn't mean it's fourth and 25 at your own 20 yard line. Let's throw up a Hail Mary and let's go for it. It's when we, this, in the study we did, it's looking at 
in the fourth downs where going for it would increase your winning percentage by more than 1%, how frequently does the coach go for it? And what we found is over the last two years, McCarthy is top three in the NFL and going for it when the situation warrants. And so you can knock on McCarthy for the clock management issue if you want. You can um, knock on him for smashing watermelon. How are you? <laughs> There's a lot of criticism right. you can make about McCarthy, but his decision to go for it on fourth down is not one of them. And I know, obviously, we're coming out of the bye week after a game where the field goal to go for it against the Patriots or the field goal against the Patriots was not the right decision. But outside of that, generally we can trust McCarthy to make the right decisions. And so knocking McCarthy for his decision-making, I, I really struggle to fault him for that because from what we've seen, he's actually very intelligent in terms of it's, using analytics disability. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's strange. And I think that like, you know, again, he has done himself no favors, um, you know, like this week, uh, you know, he's he's come out and seemingly is making Lyle Collins earn his starting job back, talking about playing Lyle Collins at left guard when last year he, he poo pooed the idea of moving offensive linemen. I mean, he's so he's he's he almost kind of can't get out of his own way with things like this. But you're right. The, the results are what they are. And I think the the controversy that is Mike McCarthy has developed two camps where you are, if you are pro Mike McCarthy, then the perception is you agree with everything that he does. And, and to your point, I think we, we do overwhelmingly agree with him, but he's not infallible. He does make mistakes. He, you know, there are situations where he's a little bit, you know, too risky or risk averse um, like he was in new England. And, and to be very clear, we're talking about the field goal that Greg Zerline missed. Um, but I mean, the, this is if you asked if you you laid out the I know you you kind of jokingly said the smashing watermelons but if you told me he can only be elite at one of these two things if you gave me a magic wish and it was fourth down aggressiveness or clock management I would take fourth down aggressiveness because people Aiden you saw this you know over the week people made such a big deal rightfully so about the way Dan Campbell played the Los Angeles Rams and how he stole possessions early on in that game and he did I mean he he built a ten point lead that was a huge reason why that game was close for the Lions against a team that it shouldn't have been close against that element of Mike McCarthy's game as a head coach is I don't want to call it stealing points, but it's, it's piling up points. I mean, if you're going to like we, you and I said, we trust Dak Prescott having to drive 99 yards more than we trust anything else on the Cowboys. If you have to trust one thing, it should be Dak Prescott. And he has understood that, which is something I don't want to bag on Jason Garrett, but that his predecessor never really totally understood regardless of who the quarterback was. I Completely agree with you. And it's really coming down to when you discuss fourth downs versus clock management, it's the question is, would you take a hyper aggressive coach if it meant he's going to make a couple mistakes along the way? And my answer is completely yes. If you're giving me the option of Dan Campbell, who's going to be aggressive, he's going to go for it on fourth down. He's going to run the fake punt, the onside kick. He wants to win the game compared to, Big Fangio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Fangio, who's more, I'm going to play this conservative and I'm not going to make mistakes. I take Dan Campbell 10 times out of 10, and that's what I think Mike McCarthy is doing. He's going for it on fourth down. He's being risky with some of his decisions. Now, 
it goes against him in that some of those risky decisions can be taken as lapses <laughs> in judgment, I guess is the, the best way to say it. But I, I think what we're seeing from Mike McCarthy is uh, he's going to be a coach that is not going to, he's not going to play it safe. He's going to be aggressive. And one thing to point out is the three biggest uh, slaps on the wrist that people, people who argue against Mike McCarthy, their, their biggest arguments against him so far this year have been clock management in the Chargers game, clock management at the end of the half in the Eagles game, right. and then the decision to kick the field goal in the Patriots game. I point out that we won all three games, and so it clearly can't be – it clearly isn't that big of an issue if we're still winning those games. So what I would say to that, and I know because I don't want anyone to accuse you of this, you're not results-oriented. That's not the, the takeaway here. It is, it is important that they won, but let's – you know. and again, I know you know this. The Chargers game, what I find interesting – and like things like coach of the year have nothing to do with like actual data, or actual results. They're, they're so narrative driven, but like Brandon Staley is one of the darlings of the NFL right now. And this is something when I had Bob Sturm on last week, he talked about, there is this kind of like archetype, like a physical archetype for the, the young hotshot NFL head coach and Brandon Staley fits that. And so, you know, you, you can see him holding the award at, at the NFL honors ceremony the night before the Super Bowl, And so that, that kind of just, you know, I think people have certain biases towards that, but Brandon Staley in all, and I love Brandon Staley and I, I'm sure you do too. And, but Brandon Staley had multiple timeouts in the Cowboys final possession against the chargers and has an elite young quarterback and was not at all concerned with trying to preserve any sort of time in the event that the Cowboys got a go ahead field goal to try and tie the game. And that's not even like, cause you can argue had the Cowboys been trailing by one point or two points or even three points. And it was a game time field goal that Brandon Staley would, would be relying upon because people say Bill Belichick has done this for years, relying on other teams to make a mistake. And maybe that's what Brandon Staley was doing, but the game was tied. I mean, so Brandon Staley kind of completely threw away any opportunity to win that game, which was very strange for somebody who people think is better than Mike McCarthy. And beyond that, to go to Bill Belichick himself, the decision at the end of the first half with a minute and a half left granted no timeouts to completely burn that possession. And beyond that, the decision in overtime to punt on fourth and three, I know it was, you know, their own side of the field, but that's a, that's a, a situation that mandates and incites aggressiveness. And I, I think of what the way the Cowboys played the Houston Texans in 2018, when Jason Garrett did something very similar and people were so upset. And so Mike McCarthy has in those senses, not even committed the most like, you know, ridiculous sin in, in the games that people are accusing him of being terrible. And you know what I mean? No, I'm completely with you. And it's Mike McCarthy as, is every Cowboys player is a very easy target. Right. I mean, he's naturally, he's going to receive some criticism, especially when you have Kellen Moore, you have Dan Quinn. I mean, other coaches that people can point to and say, well, that's where their success is coming from. It's not the head coach. It's these, two amazing coordinators that are carrying the whole team, but I'm completely with no coach is completely free of mistakes. Every right. coach is going to pick up a few mistakes along the way. I mean, even the best team in the NFL over the last two years in terms of their decision to when they're going forward in the correct decision, nobody's at a hundred percent, nor are they generally anywhere. The NFL average is around 50%. You're making the correct decision about 50% of the time. And so Coaches, it's really easy to point at a few mistakes and call this a complete lapse, lapse in judgment. He doesn't know how to coach, but I think we all just need to 
sit back, relax, and think, Mike McCarthy, he knows when to go for it on fourth down. He's going to be aggressive. Sure, he'll make a couple of mistakes along the way, but I would much rather have a coach that wants to win and is going to be aggressive in order to get that done. I think in that sense, he's such an interesting, you know, case to, to study because no, there hasn't really been one like him that, that has had the opportunity to, to feel humbled, however you want to put it, and to have, have another opportunity with another elite quarterback. That just generally doesn't happen. Generally, if, if a head coach is fired or moves on or whatever, it's generally them starting over. So it is interesting to kind of see how Mike McCarthy has learned from his past and learned in terms of team and roster construction, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anything we haven't touched on, Aiden, that you feel particularly passionate about, that you just, you know, that you won't be able to sleep tonight if, um, if we don't discuss in any capacity? Oof. Give me a second to think on that one. Like maybe an unsung hero, something that because like there are people, the the geniuses of the world, like the you and the eyes that are praising Mike McCarthy. Obviously, Kellen Moore and Dane Quinn are getting their praise. Dak Prescott's getting his praise. Uh, I mean, Trayvon Diggs is getting his praise. I mean, it, everything's coming up Cowboys right now. Is there an unsung hero? Is there, you know, I, I don't want to go back to a negative note. Maybe there's something that we're over evaluating. I mean, like what's, you know, as the Cowboys do return to action on Sunday night, what's just kind of something to watch in that sense? One unsung hero, and I blogging the boys has talked about it a lot, and maybe this isn't completely unsung. There have been discussions around it. I don't think we are properly evaluating the impact that Dalton Schultz is having on the mm. Cowboys this year. I think in terms of tight end performances this year, just overall tight end performances, I think it goes, Number one, Travis Kelsey, and you can make an argument that currently number two is Dalton Schultz with Darren Waller and George Kittle both. Right, both banged up and missing time, right. Exactly. So maybe when they come back, maybe you put them ahead of Dalton Schultz. But in terms of the impact on the game, he is – it looks funny when he does it, but he's getting yards after the catch. He's consistently – he's consistently catching the ball. He's kind of become that Jason Witten. You can trust him when you throw it to him. He's not really going to drop it. And then in terms of his blocking, it's all been great. I know there've been a couple of times where we can point out and say, well, he clearly missed the block there, but for the most part, he's been a polished tight end. And the impact that the tight end has on the game as a whole is a little bit understated. And I think if I were to give an unsung MVP for the first six weeks, I think it would be Dalton Schultz because what we're seeing is incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think generally speaking, and I, again, I've said this several times, which makes for bad preparation by me. I have no data to support this, but if you have an elite tight end, you are an elite offense. Like it's generally emblematic of an elite offense because like Travis Kelsey is, is the prime example. Rob Gronkowski is the prime example. George Kittle, an efficient, a very efficient offense at, at San Francisco's peak, obviously. Um, and he was kind of even, even pre 2019, the Nick Mullins days was kind of the, the, the tip of the iceberg at the hint of that offense becoming a lead. And obviously they've, they've regressed a lot, you know, in the last two years, but there you, you will not, Darren Waller might be the exception, I suppose, but I mean, you will not find an elite tight end that is on an offense that is going nowhere on a team that's going nowhere. Exactly. And I mean, you can look now, Correlation doesn't equal causation, right. but you can look at the Super Bowl teams over the last 10 years just playing in the Super Bowl. You had uh, obviously the Patriots with Gronk, then you had the Buccaneers with Gronk, 
but you have the Eagles with Zach Ertz in his prime. You have other, I mean, the Panthers with Greg Olson. Yeah. Panthers with Greg Olson. I mean, I think the one exception may be the Rams when they made it to the Super Bowl. Mm. They didn't have that amazing tight end, but every other team we've seen make the Super Bowl over the last 10 years has had that cornerstone tight end where you trust him to make the catch, get a few yards after the catch, cover up his blocking assignment. And I mean, I think the impact that a tight end has, yeah, cannot be understated. And what we're seeing from um, Dalton Schultz is, it blows my mind because I came into the season expecting it to be a one-two punch with Jarwin and it's now the Dalton Schultz show. That's really amazing. Like now that I, maybe this is something we study next week, but like even, even the Atlanta Falcons with, with then rookie Austin Hooper, I mean, like was a reliable, because he doesn't, it doesn't have to be like this Gronk like figure. It just has to be, because the 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 drop off from even good tight end is significant in the NFL, and so Dalton Schultz obviously playing higher than that, and, and certainly way above expectation. To to your point, I mean, but that is you know, it's, 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 uh, there's an argument to be made also that the Cowboys have the I, I I say it somewhat facetiously, but the deepest tight end group in the NFL because Blake Jarwin is a secondary option. I think is better than even what what's behind Travis Kelsey in Kansas City. Uh, I mean, you know, it's. Yeah, an abundance of riches, needless to say. Yeah, and you can say that for a lot of positions, offensive line, tight end, right. running back. But yeah, this is a very deep team, and it's definitely tight end included. Um, Aiden is on Twitter at Aiden1214. We found out in your interactions with Ben Baldwin and our friend Cowboy Stats and Graphic that your birthday is not December 14th. Uh, so the 1214 is random in that sense. It is. I created that Twitter account, I think, when I was in middle school, and I threw a couple numbers at the end that I enjoyed at the time. And so that's, that's the explanation, the big mystery. Aiden, I don't want to hear that you created your Twitter account in middle school. That's just, that's, that's not a good, that doesn't make me feel great inside, but um, <laughs> it is what it is. Aiden is awesome. Everybody follow him on Twitter. Does fantastic work. Maybe we'll study Dalton Schultz. Uh, hopefully we have some, some more fun to keep having. Aiden will pop around um, the, uh, the pods and the videos as well. Aiden, thanks so much for joining us today. And um, I hope you, you know, I hope you get good grades. But I mean, you know, the logo on your diploma won't be that great. So I'll say. Yeah, I well, at this point in my life, I think it goes number one, Cowboys, number two grades. So nice. Well, that's yeah. really all that matters. Thanks so much for yeah. joining us. All right. Thank you for having me, RJ. Want to give a big time shout out, big time thank you to Aiden Davis for taking the time to join us, to entertain us, to humor us, to enlighten us. I really, I learned from talking to Aiden every single day, and I'm hopeful that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, including the props that we threw at Mike McCarthy, a controversial opinion in today's Dallas Cowboys-ness, but hey, it is what it is. Tonight, we have an interesting game, the Arizona Cardinals hosting the Green Bay Packers. This is uh, a subject that we talked about in our roundtable discussion. By the way, Aiden will be part of our roundtable next week uh, on the Blog and the Boys YouTube channel. We will podcast that for you as well as we always do. Um, I have decided... I know you've been waiting with bated breath. I have decided I am rooting for the Green Bay Packers tonight. I think that that works for the overall goodness of the Cowboys' cause. It pains me to admit, uh, but 
Go Pack Go. Anyway, uh, hope the Astros won. Hope the Astros continue to win. Big time sports week if you're a Cowboys and Astros fan like I am. Uh, I'm also a Manchester United supporter, so not a great week in that capacity. But, hey, it is what it is. Uh, please subscribe here to the Blog and the Voice Podcast Network. Leave a rating, write a review. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, or a recipe for something you think I would enjoy, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. I am at RJ Ochoa. That's R-J-O-C-H-O-A. My DMs are open if you need more than 280 characters. You can also shoot me an email if you're feeling 2002 wish rj.ochoa at sbnation.com also do me a favor i don't ask you for much but have a great day have the best day ever just have the greatest day of all time you know why because you deserve it we will see you manana my friends as always go cowboys and peace out